Welcome to Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week we're discussing Star Trek Discovery episode, The War Without, The War Within, which is the second to last episode of season one. Yes. Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. We're coming up to the end. And to the Star Trek writers' credits, I think most people do not have any solid idea of how the next episode is going to play out. I will say it doesn't look like they're doing the time travel thing, which I thought they were going to do. I know. I was. I thought they were going to do time travel, and they haven't done it this episode. They may still possibly take that route next episode. I even thought they were kind of setting up for it at the beginning when they were telling everybody like what the big uh, losses were, I suppose, in the war. Because if they right. go back in time and anticipate those, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stop them. Uh, yeah. So overall, Kate, did you enjoy the episode? Yes. I liked it because like, I, I couldn't really, I, I didn't know where it was going to go, you know? And mm -hmm. also, if you recall near the beginning of our show, we had a problem with how um, the setup, like the advertising, was all about how it was going to be women in command. And then they were very quickly basically all replaced by men. But here at mm -hmm. the end, they are just kind of replacing all the men with women. Yes, I noticed that too. I even was really happy to see when they came on the bridge during one of the scenes that it was Arium who was uh, at the captain's chair. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So, yeah, I was really, really happy to see Admiral Cornwell back. I thought you would be. Yep. I'm glad they had... Um the Vulcan mind melt there to get past all the telling everyone what happened. <laughs> that was a good plot device. Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, before we get any further into it, do we have any announcements? Do we have anything we want to mention about what we're going to be doing on the hiatus? Um... Nothing specific, I don't think. Did you get a chance to look over okay. my... Yes, I did. Schedule? Yep. And if people have suggestions or ideas about different shows to cover, uh, we are interested in hearing your ideas, uh, especially if there's feminist sci-fi things to cover. We've already had some ideas from Ms. Myra and Matthew Vose. And if anybody else has suggestions or ideas where you would love to hear them. Let's get back into the discussion of the show. One of the things I noticed with this show from the beginning of this episode was that it was a very full show again. Like there was lots of stuff happening. But it seemed to handle it really well. It didn't feel like any scene was overly rushed it felt like there was time for the important stuff and that it was well-directed and well put together. So I just wanted to say that little overall note. I agree, but I will say I didn't think the A plot and the B plot had any sort of parallels. The A plot and the B plot being... Well, the A plot being the war and the B plot being Tyler. I mean, I guess you, they don't need parallels or anything, but and I, I guess you could argue that the the parallels were the war without the war within. But I don't know. I, they just felt very disconnected to me. I didn't have any problems with either of them. They just felt disconnected. Hmm. Okay, that's fair. They at least did line up the sort of um, big like gut punch scenes together like the part in the middle of the episode where the starbase gets destroyed is lined up right after the scene where Stamets confronts Tyler 
So they did kind of line up those two big emotional impact moments together. But I, I guess you're right. Like thematically, I can't think of how they would relate. Well, it's not that big of a deal, I guess. I was just mentioning. Mm -hmm. Once again, before the credits, we had an incredibly full group of scenes. Mm -hmm. But they all followed Saru's point of view. I didn't even notice, but yeah, I guess they did. Yeah. Uh, I was going through my list of notes afterwards, and I was like, wow, that was a whole lot of stuff right before the credits. But then I realized, oh, well, you know, they start off in the transporter room and then follow Saru walking Burnham and then they're visiting Tyler and then over to the bridge. And then Saru gets his command taken by Admiral Cornwell. And that's almost the last we see of Saru. It was almost too much before the credits. It made the credits feel long and unnecessary. I just wanted them to go away and get back to the show. How I used to watch TV shows that had, like, a teaser, the credits, and then ads. Jeez. That's when we went to the bathroom and got our snacks. And then when, like, VCRs were invented and you would record them and watch them afterwards, early time shifting, you would fast forward. This is actually probably when my mother would change to a different station. And we would never get back to the proper one on time. Mm. And I would miss things. It's fine. It's fine. I can remember things like that happening too in my household. You weren't the only one. Anyways, back to the show. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that one of our listeners wanted us to comment on, I think mm -hmm. it was, oh yeah, it was uh, Rachel, Curiosity Detective at Gypsy Book Nerd. Um, she was very interested to hear the, our thoughts on Saru's progression through the season along with the discussion between Michael and Ash and what she says to him about handling this alone versus his insistence that he needs her. I hated that entire conversation. Oh, between Ash and Michael? Yep. I will. I mean, I hated Tyler's side of it. Michael was great. Yes. Yes. Okay. We're on the same page there. Um, but what she said about Saru, like, how do you think he's progressed this season? See, I think Saru's biggest character development was swept under the rug and never brought out again. Being his his experience on Pav Pavu Pavo pa Pavo, and, and and like he just went right back to normal after that and didn't really get to change or or anything. I I do think his relationship with Michael has come a long way. And he, he's come a long way in uh, forgiving and trusting her again. But as for himself, I, I, I don't think much is... Like, I think there was potential for them to do a lot with him, but I don't think they did. It definitely feels like he's ended in a different place that he's begun. But you're right. I think the, the main moment of change for him started at Pavo. But I think he also had a chance to develop a lot in the mirror universe. But I don't think, like you said, we get to see a lot of that. I mean, I guess he has to go through a lot every single time he gets kicked out of that chair, which did seem to keep happening this episode. Um, I don't know. Like I liked seeing him take charge in, in the mirror universe. Mm -hmm. But again, we don't know if that was something that he had to sort of rise to or if that was something he was all along, because we never really got a chance to see him, uh, like, like that was the first time we saw him take command. We never really got to see him take command and maybe be not as inspiring or not as, you know what I mean? Like, we didn't get to see him be less. Well, the first time he tries to take command and he basically tries to bully Stamets and use the tardigrade despite them okay. expressing their concerns. That's fair. I had completely forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. He definitely seems to have gained confidence now. And his mannerisms now when he's in command are much more confident and careful and considered. Like he reminds me a lot in this episode of other Star Trek captains we've seen. 
And I would be happy to see more of him gaining his footing as captain in season two and getting to flesh that out a bit. Yeah. I'm hoping that's where they're going. You know, I honestly don't know what I'm hoping for anymore in season two. They have left it very open. Like, I I really am not sure how the final episode is going to play out. I have a few different possibilities running through my head. I still don't see how... Like, and I get this is a prequel, and they have some artistic license, and they can't, they can't write the show specifically to have it match up with the other shows. Like, that would just be boring. But mm-hmm. I just don't see having the war almost won by the Klingons like this. And have that not be, like, a huge thing in the other shows. I started thinking about it a little. And... One of the things that sudden that makes sense to bring the Federation down to this point is that they will legitimately need to rebuild their ranks. So I'm thinking this might be their way of getting Burnham back on the ship or keeping her on the ship. They might even justify having Tyler back on the ship. And then when you look at the rapid promotion of people in future series, like the original Mm -hmm. series, it also kind of makes sense there because Starfleet was decimated and is rebuilding. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. So that's the only thing that sort of was like, okay, well, if this is where they're coming from after the Klingon war, then sure. Graduate the cadet early after this instance. And promote him if you're going by the Kelvin timeline or you know that's just kind of explains why they might keep a captain like Kirk who you know had a certain disregard for rules and things like Mm -hmm. that why they would keep letting him be a captain in Starfleet he's not as bad as Lorca was (laughs) I I think Cornwall did um, a really really good job with her one line of just saying like oh so my Gabriel's gone and that just sort of tied up that storyline for her. And it was just one line, but I think she, she delivered it really well. I thought Cornwell's acting was amazing mm-hmm. this episode. All of her lines were delivered so mm-hmm. well. And she went through a whole range of emotions from like her take no prisoners, like storming onto the bridge during that first scene mm-hmm. of hers, her anger at Lorca, that moment of grief that she had, and just, yeah, went through everything and sold it. Yeah, I really liked her. I have a feeling she's going to die, mm-hmm. so I'm sad. <sighs> but, I mean, I could be wrong. It's just a feeling. <laughs> I feel like you say things like this just to make me sad. well what are they gonna do with their next season really i hope she's a recurring guest through the show i would enjoy that also i'm just saying without Lorca there as like a plot thing like she doesn't really have a purpose so i can see where they would kill her for emotional reasons the ship captains have to take their orders from somewhere yeah so She'll be part of Starfleet Command, and she'll have conferences with whoever the captain is, and give them their orders, and take reports, and yeah. That'd be good. Sure. Sure, that sounds really boring. (laughs) Her future scenes may be boring, but at least she'll still be there alive, okay? Sure. Sure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do we want to put money down on this? You. Let's not. I've been wrong a lot recently. Well, I was going to say, how am I going to get you the money if you win and stuff like that? No, we don't live that far apart. We, like, well, I know. Literally. Uh, anyways. <laughs> okay, so getting back to the flow of things. So the Federation War is going really badly. Mm-hmm. And I liked their explanation for that. I dislike that the Klingons don't seem to have a sense of honor. Like, they seem really about 
just win at any cost. And the Klingons in the future seem to be a little bit more, not nicer, but uh, adhering to their own sort of code. And their code doesn't seem to be established quite to the same levels yet as it does in the future. They might establish it after whatever happens to Kronos. That's true. And let's talk a bit about the Tyler scenes. All right. I'm ready to talk about it. Did you have a high point, a low point? Okay, well, which one are we talking about first? Uh, Let's talk about Tyler and Stamets first. Okay, that one I liked. I think they've done a really good job with Stamets because he's not like an overly emotional person. You know, he wouldn't wear his emotions on his sleeve, but it's still, they do a good job of still making sure that he's he's not okay right now, you know? And you mm-hmm. can, I can mm-hmm. definitely imagine him doing all these things and putting on a good show and then going back to his room at night and, and just not being okay. Yeah. I hope that we at some point get a scene to that effect. Yeah. Because right now they're just showing him like working and mostly being okay. And then having this one scene with Tyler. Yeah. But I liked the scene. I liked how it was handled. I liked how Tyler handled himself in it. Yeah. I do like, I mean, I've seen a lot of, like, a lot of this type of thing where the person is, like, the person in Tyler's sort of position is determined to apologize and prove themselves when, and and it's just painful to watch because just leave them alone. You know what I mean? And I think Tyler was determined to apologize here, but then after that, like... Like, like, he didn't push it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think Tyler right now has the emotional strength to deal with mm-hmm. it at all. Like, I don't think he is emotionally strong enough to um, seek anyone out. Because he doesn't seek out Burnham. He doesn't... Like, when she comes, he verbally pushes back mm-hmm. at her a bit. But, like, he wasn't going there to see Stamets. And I'm glad that they didn't write it that way. I'm glad it was just, you know, he was going to have his lunch and bumps into him in the hallways. And I'm glad that he didn't seek out Burnham. I was a little worried that after Saru told him that she was alive and back on the ship, that he was going to go try and talk to her. And I'm glad they didn't write it that way. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't even know how I feel about about Tilly and and the other uh, crew sitting with him while he was eating. Like, like I get the point that they were making, and 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 I liked the the parallel with um uh, at the beginning when Tilly didn't want Michael sitting near her uh, in in engineering, but or in the the spore room or whatever. But, like, what, what, what if Stamets had been in that room a- and they had declared their loyalty to Tyler? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I liked that scene. Yeah, I, I can kind of see Tilly going over. Mm-hmm. Um, just because she is sort of this... Uh, she's the person who's extending an olive branch. She has taken on this role where she is kind of uh, the person to go to. She doesn't have a rank. She's just a cadet. So there's also that sort of power imbalance. She's no one's superior officer. But she is Stamets' friend. Like, she's Stamets' friend. Yeah. And... Yep. It just, I mean, I get that it's complicated and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. but I just don't, I just don't know how I feel about that scene. Mm -hmm. I do really like what she said to Michael later about, like, getting closure. Yes. Um, Steve, supersonic Jeffrey at Zinkstoat. 
he commented on Twitter, go Tilly and go Detmer signing up for the welcome back Ash celebration dinner. I'm sure everything will turn out fine. Yeah. And then I can't tell on my screen if that's an awkward smiley with all the teeth. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I don't necessarily know that he should be welcomed back. It feels like the show is trying to say that he's a new person. Do you, do you think he's going to be around next season? I'm wondering. I'm, I mean, it's going to add a layer of complexity if all these people do have to work together mm-hmm. still. Uh, Tilly did say that he's never going to fly for Starfleet again. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to come up somewhere else. Or if Starfleet's going to go, no, 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 he's actually got some skills we need, so uh, let's just wipe his record. Let's. I mean, who knows? They did it with Yale. That's her real well, name. Well, I... Philippa. Her, whatever her show's name is, sorry. I have thoughts on that that we'll get to at the okay. end. But I could see them using the war as an excuse to um, take extreme matters and re-enlist Burnham and Tyler. Because, uh, I mean, it's not like when Tyler got out of his supposed prison sentence, they did anything more than, like, a routine scan yeah. Yeah. the first time. And I mean, some of that may have been Lorca pulling strings, entirely possible, but Starfleet didn't seem to have the same kind of strict protocols about this as good sense would dictate. Yeah, I don't know. I do think Tilly made a good point, though, about how somebody would want to study him in a lab. Yeah, though, I mean, it's not any sort of medical procedure that Starfleet would want to reenact. So they might not want him studied because if the, like once the knowledge is out there and the techniques can be sought after. You don't think they'd want that for themselves? I don't think Starfleet would use those methods. I think you're speaking as a Star Trek fan at the moment and not as like a human person who like like a character in the show, you know? Kind of. <laughs> um, the tweets that came in most recently were from uh, Calvin KT at Calvin. And his main comment is a protracted discussion on what are the implications of Starfleet adopting Terran war practices. Um, at what time is it okay to commit war crimes? Strapping warp drives to large asteroids and firing them at Klingon planets. Was 80,000 people enough? Discovery has shown that they aren't above planting bombs on the dead. And my slight nitpick with that is that they didn't actually attach bombs to the dead bodies. They just put the bombs in the tractor beam path where the dead bodies were being pulled in. Which is a slight, slight, very tiny nitpick. Um... And I remember us talking about that at the beginning after the Battle of the Binary Stars. But I don't know if what they're planning to do and what they actually do is going to amount to Terran war crimes. I don't know if they put the captain back to do things that uh, a Terran... would decide to do or if they have other purposes for her being there. And going back to the whole Tyler issue, uh, I think that the Federation wants to bury the alternate universe technology for the reason that they don't consider it safe if it's out there. And I think they would do the same with the species reassignment. But like, there's a difference between burying something and not studying it. I will say that. Um, but as far as war crimes go, like at this point, they're significantly down in numbers, and they have said mm-hmm. that the Klingons have been killing children and and, and um, civilians. So I can see where at this point they're probably just thinking like a little tit for tat. 
And whether or not it's right or wrong, I can 100% understand where they're coming from and why they would do what they're doing. Well, the the whole argument that it's tit for tat is like loses the moral high ground. The Federation can't claim to be seeking peace if they engage in war crimes. Like they they've invalidated their stance if they do that. And I hope that they don't go that route. And I'm crossing my fingers really hard. that They don't go that route. They may still go that route. And just like the, the producers and just, writers of discovery are have been good at making some pretty weak arguments against certain things see our previous comments on bury your gaze yeah so i could see them making the argument of like it was a necessary measure and blah 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 but i think that that would be a weak excuse for their decision to take the federation that Root. Again, I think you're just talking from a Star Trek fan perspective, from somebody who's not that invested in the overall franchise. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see why they would still care about the moral high ground. I honestly don't. Okay. I mean, I've we, we can quote actual historical things where at some point people who had intensely the moral high ground in, I mostly think about World War II here, then definitely drop some nuclear bombs on a different country. And nobody really vilifies them for it. Well, I I don't know that nobody really vilifies them for it. Having been to the sites where the nuclear, one of the nuclear bombs was dropped, um, it's very much still in the active consciousness of a lot of people in Japan. And there's a very strong anti-nuclear movement in Japan. Absolutely. I won't comment as to whether they vilify the U.S. or not for it. And there are a lot of people who would, I think, argue that it's the U.S. and the U- like the Western media that has written the moral high ground in to the winner's side. Exactly. And maybe that's what it'll end up with in the Federation yeah. as well. That, that was more what I was meaning, that, like... Oh, okay. Um, sorry if I didn't specify that very, very well, uh, or express that very well. Um, but, like, everybody knows they did it, but still somehow the overall feeling is that people either don't think about it at all or that it was a necessary measure. So I... As, and especially with so many deaths uh, with the Federation... Sorry to get super serious here. Um... It, I, they and because like like you said there's nobody really left in command that when they promote people up they will it'll be really easy to just sweep stuff under the rug and not so that it disappears but so that they put their own spin on it right which actually okay. would speak for maybe why the klingons then do adapt a code of honor so that they never are in a situation like that again so that they then have the moral high ground. Hmm. That's interesting. Again, we have absolutely no idea where the next episode is going to go. So No. No. Um, let's move on to some of the other... Um, just to... I think this started as a conversation about Tyler. I don't know how we got to where we are. But... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> um, I was just going to... I wanted to talk about the Tyler and Michael scene... Because I wanted to yes. punch Tyler in his fucking face during that whole scene. Like I hold him, yeah. you punch. Like it was I can't I can't imagine I can't imagine like attacking somebody, lying to some oh, I loved I loved that Michael specified that she wasn't mad about, you know, the sleeper agent, but that he didn't come to her mm-hmm. when it would be too much when it got to be too much. That he didn't, you know, take himself out of the situations i really liked that that was her like main point there that was fabulous um but i can't imagine attacking someone lying to them all these things and then demanding that they do emotional labor for him yes yes oh my god a thousand times yes oh my god um 
the the one going back to what you said about her making it about the lie that you know when he said that he said that he was going to tell her if he couldn't handle it and it Mm -hmm. got to that point and she never told him i have an issue with her argument on that because you don't tell someone going through mental health issues to you know just tell you when to step in because a lot of times people who are in depressive states or in um, other states of severe mental distress they are not going to have the emotional and mental capacity to do that when it's necessary so like i i didn't think that was entirely fair of her to just be like I trusted you to tell me when it was going to be too overwhelming for you to handle. And then of course, when it was too overwhelming for him to handle, he was too overwhelmed to get the need resources he needed for help. Like that's the whole point of when you're overwhelmed. Um, so I didn't, I, I liked that he called her out on that. Um, but then, yeah, when he was like, I need you to find my way back. I was like, you, need to go jump out of an airlock like just um that's bullshit and uh calvin in one of his tweets briefly touched on that as well um where was it that his speech is the prime example of an abuser's appeal for yeah. sympathy and it was like i've done something to really hurt you but i need you and yeah that's total, total crap. I think he literally said something like, I can't, like, what was it? Like, I need you to do this for me or something like that. And I was like, well, you've just lost all my sympathy, buddy. He, <laughs> I took notes on this. He was like, the whole reason I didn't get fully triggered into being a Klingon, you know, spy, the reason Laurel failed was because of you. And I need you to find my way back. Yeah. Like, the whole reason it didn't fully take was her. And it's like, first of all, you don't know that, buddy. This was an experimental procedure. You were the test case. Like, you're just using this as an emotional argument to manipulate her. And, yeah. It was just utter crap. Back to your point about um, him coming Mm -hmm. to her when it was too overwhelming. I guess I do I do agree with what you're saying there. I just also think like there are a lot of people with with mental health issues out there who don't have people who say to them come to me anytime you need me. You know what I mean? And so my one thing was that is that he had somebody there for him who wanted to help who said like and you know what a lot of shit was going on. She couldn't have been paying attention to his mental state while they were trying to blend in in the Terran universe. So I can kind of see where the ball was in his court there. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who wish they had somebody that close who, even if they couldn't bring themselves to tell them that they needed help, at least knew somebody out there would listen. Mm. You raise a valid point about that. There are people out there who do not have anybody willing to support them and listen. And it, it's not, and I don't know, it's not like he didn't know there was a lot of shit, like, I, the fact that he didn't take himself out of the, the whole situation with being on the Terran ship is BS. Like, he had killed Culber at that point. He'd, uh, and he was still trying to pretend to be a good, like, no. No, that was his own fault. I'm sorry. I don't care what mental state mm-hmm. you're in. You know that you murdered someone. And that you should not be on a mission that is putting this person that you allegedly love in danger. Right. Good point. Anyways. They both messed up. Yes. But he messed up way more. Like of a much larger magnitude. I can't I can't imagine asking her to help. Like I can't imagine even looking at her ever again. Anyway, I really loved her speech about having to get through it all on your own and find yourself. I mean, obviously I think it should be on your own with professional help. Um, but the Star Trek universe doesn't seem to acknowledge professional help. No, they don't. But I don't think a romantic relationship is the key. No, I don't think it is either. And yeah, her speech at the end was really good. And I like, she acknowledged that it's hard Mm -hmm. to walk away. And I will say, I do hope 
I do hope we see Tyler next season. Um, if only for like the actor's sake, because I, I like the actor. Yeah. And I think if they do it right, it could be an interesting role with him kind of, um, you know, f- fighting to get back to being a singular person, but also having this intel into the Klingons that they could probably use. Oh, that's a very good point, because he does say he has uh, mm-hmm. folks' memories. So yeah, they might need to keep him on just for the intel aspect of it. Which leads me to wonder, like, doesn't he have any knowledge on where the important military installations are that they want to do a decisive strike on? Well, they maybe didn't want to ask him, and they had Lorel there, so I can see where they were like, maybe let's not exacerbate his problems right now when we have another option. Mm. Okay. And Cornwall has a rapport with Laurel. Yeah, but I think that they're going to get a lot of their intel by warping the ship inside the planet. Oh, right. That. And using their drones. Well, we'll see how that turns out. Yes. Yes. I really liked Sarek in this episode. Me too. And I loved his play back and forth with uh, Emperor Giorgio. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that scene. Too. And then I also really enjoyed his final scene with Burnham when he said goodbye and how artfully he deflected her question. He deflected her question? Yeah, the scene starts out with him saying he's going back to Vulcan to hash out some details of the plan or something. And She's like, what details need to be hashed out? And then he answers her question by saying that she seems uneasy. And then talking about her relationship with Tyler and how she's in love with a Klingon and when her parents were killed by Klingons. And then he has the great line of what greater source of grace exists but to love our enemy. That was a good line. Yeah. He had some really great moments. For as, as much as I didn't like having Sarek in the show at first, well, it still doesn't have to be Sarek. It could have been a different Vulcan. <laughs> but I do like the role he's playing in th- this and back half of this season. And we didn't see him as much as you were afraid we were going to see him. Yes, and they didn't do the whole, like, uh, you know, communication by... Uh, whatever. By mind. Katra. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm glad about. Um, There were so many good scenes in this episode. It's hard to stop talking and wrap them up. Well, we haven't talked about the end. No, but I want to talk about the, uh, the science solution of this one. Um, Where they rapid grow spores by blasting them with, EM power. That just seemed like, you know, like... Gotta wave yeah. our hand. But yeah. Okay. It bugged me. It... Oh, shoot. I know Joss Whedon had a term for this on Buffy, where, like, every week there would be, like, an item or a thing that just was there that would be the thing that they needed to find or to solve this. I forget what his word was for it, but, like, it, it, it was that, you know, it was that thing that they needed. Are you thinking Maybe, like yeah. the MacGuffin? Or, or, yeah, that type okay. of thing. And so they needed spores, yeah. so there was a way to get spores. Yep. As I think somebody on Twitter said, um, it was a really nice moment between Michael and Smith when she put his hand on, uh, on, when she put her hand on his shoulder, and you could tell that they had really grown and were friends and stuff. Yeah. And it was some really good uh, special effects that they got yeah. to show off. I I don't even remember noticing. I only marginally noticed. So the people who are special effects junkies must have been going nuts at how good they were. Um, and then, yeah, let's talk about the end. I really liked it. I'm excited to I see really what I'm on. I am too. Um... Do you have any predictions on what's going to happen? No, I don't. No. No? Um, I I think 
this might be well okay i've got a couple possible ideas about what's going to happen well they're putting the emperor in the captain's chair and she has the spore drive at her uh like she can use the spore drive now and that's how Lorca managed to get to the mirror universe in the first place sure yep so I'm wondering if she's going to do something like that. I I don't see them using the same plot device again, though. But the Federation seems to be trusting her an awful lot to stick with whatever she has planned with Cornwell and Sarek. Well, hmm. Do you think she wants to go back? Like, I know she said she wanted to go back, but... I can see where maybe she thinks she has better perspectives staying here and trying to either take over or get herself in a good position here than going back. I don't know that Starfleet would do that. When you look at the damage Lorca caused being here, I don't know that they would just be like, you know, pinky swear, you'll stick to this plan. Okay, here you go. Here's a ship. No, I agree. But right now, they can think, oh, we'll use her for the war and lock her up afterwards. And she can be thinking, they'll use me for the war, try to lock me up afterwards, but I can maybe do something. Right. Um, That might be what she's thinking. Uh, What do you think the Federation is going to use her for? I don't know. Obviously... We didn't, we were not privy to that conversation. I thought that, well, she may just be there to mess with the Klingons' heads because, I mean, they ate her <laughs> and she's back. I've forgotten that. Oh, God. To be fair, the people who ate her aren't really around anymore. Well, that's true. That is true. Um, I was chatting with my sister last night after watching, after we both watched, and she was like, aren't people going to figure out that the timing of this is just sort of coincidental? You're just back from the mirror universe, and oh, you found Emperor George, like our captain. She wasn't dead after all. Like, um, And I was like, well, yeah, I think some people on the Discovery's crew are going to put two and two together, obviously. Um but then I was wondering if it was maybe more for the impact it might have on the Klingons to see the person that they thought had been killed come back. Um, my other thought was that she might be there as like some sort of, she's going to sacrifice herself in some way. She might just to regain that. Uh, well, like, Cause that was what she wanted. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen next either. But I don't think they're just going to blow up Kronos. <laughs> well, they're not going to blow it up. They're just going to blow up parts of it. Yeah, I could see them doing a a strike like that. But, I mean, clearly, Giorgio was like, there's more to it than just that. I still think they're going to they're gonna be in the middle of the planet. They're not going to blow up the whole thing. Yeah, I just, I'm not sure what exactly... Giorgio meant to bring the Klingons to their knees. I don't know that the Federation would agree to something that was wholly a war crime. So, yeah, I guess we'll wait and see next week's episode. Yeah. How they wrap this up. Um, I'm just going to quickly scroll through here and see if there were any other... Oh, yeah, the only other thing that from Calvin's tweets was his lighter topic. Prime Lorca is alive until we see a body, a veritable Schrodinger's office, office Schrodinger's officer. Oh, I 100% agree. Until we see a dead body, he could come back anytime. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, um, Jason Isaacs, in another article in Variety, had said that he basically agreed to do it because... And like they, they wrote out such a good character for him 
and they asked him if he would come back and he was like well you know the character i played is dead but obviously in star trek it's a show where anything can happen and so if they came back to me with something that was compelling enough who knows i hope so i like jason isaacs yeah yeah um anything else that we wanted to make sure we got in this episode i don't think so no yeah i think we could i think we covered it and we sort of worked all of our listener comments in throughout because they were all about stuff that I mm-hmm. knew we were going to be talking about. So it seemed easier to work them in there instead of all at the end. And then I'm going to check this week's fortune cookie. And mm-hmm. guess what, Kate? Admiral Cornwell vaporized the fortune cookies. <laughs> so this is our last one? <laughs> this is our last one. And who's it going to be um, for? Laurel. Your next important purchase will be a bargain. (laughs) (laughs) Presumably she buys her freedom. Yes. (laughs) You had an Easter egg you wanted to mention. Oh, thank you for reminding me. Yes, they did drop the little Easter egg in, in Cornwell's speech when she was talking about going to Quonos for the first time in a hundred years since Jeffrey Archer visited. And of course that is a little Easter egg from enterprise and full disclosure. There may have been more Easter eggs with the different places they mentioned having battles at them and, and things like that. I just didn't have a chance to look them all up and none of them were in my immediate knowledge of the Star Trek universe. So if you have li- if you listeners have immediate knowledge of it and caught anything important there, feel free to tweet at me and uh, let me know and we'll include it next show. And yeah, do you have any recommendations this week, Kate? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so my recommendation this week are some fun, like contemporary romance books I've been reading. Um, the author is Lucy Parker. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one in the series is act like it. And they're all about people in like, Uh, theater in the West End in London and as somebody who went to school for theater I usually can't read books about theater because they get it very 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 wrong and these don't and I really like that and um, I just really I like the characters and the stories and they're really fun so Lucy Parker books that's a good recommendation uh I will also recommend one of the things that I am currently reading. Well, back to reading. I will recommend an online webcomic called Girl Genius. It's girlgeniusonline.com. And I stopped reading probably around the time that I went on maternity leave to have my kids. So it's been a while. Wow. So there's a, a, a large back catalog to explore. And it's adventure, romance, mad science in a steampunk Europe world. And uh, it's highly enjoyable if you like those kinds of mad capped adventure stories. So I'm, I'm only about two years behind now. I've been catching up. And if, um, if online comics aren't your thing, they have a plethora of works in this universe. You can get novels, you can get it as physical comic books. Yeah, we have some of the um, physical graphic novels, actually, as well. We ordered them one time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So yeah, and it's www.girlgeniusonline.com is where you go and check it out. And... I think that's everything. I think that is. So, thank you again for listening. I've been Jen. And I've been Caitlin. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact us at a command of her own at gmail.com or at command of her own on Twitter and on Instagram.com slash a command of her own. Bye, everyone.
I didn't catch basically a single thing you said there. Should I say it again? Nope, I didn't get that. <laughs> what? It just cuts out. But <laughs> Kate can't hear anything I say. I heard that. <laughs> of course you did. I didn't I didn't catch that. I liked their explanation for that. I'm sorry. I liked their explanation for why the Klingons just keep escalating. So hilariously, the first time you said that you cut out at the end and the second time you cut out mm -hmm. at the beginning. So I was able to piece, piece it all together. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Anyway, I really loved her speech about having to be the person to, to like, I'm going to wait for that garbage truck to go by. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say there's screeching, <laughs> clanging. <gasps> I'm sorry, Miss Lotta, that was that an actual quote. I've been Jen. Did you say something? <laughs> <laughs> you have to keep some of these in because that's too funny. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Thank you for listening. I've been Jen. <laughs> <laughs> With technical issues. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I've been Caitlin. Oh god. That's fine. That's fine. Goodbye everyone. Ah, I'm I'm just going to stop recording right now. Oh, 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 there's more. I was just going to do our, our, like, if you have any questions oh, or comments you'd like I to share. You'd already you done can... it. Go. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact us at a command of her own at gmail.com or at command of her own on Twitter and on Instagram.com slash a command of her own. <laughs> Bye again. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Well, that'll be fun. <laughs>